Well, before we get into the word this morning, I just want to give you a little road map of where we're going. So this week, we are wrapping up our Christmas season. Um, so in the, the church calendar, Christmas uh, extends to Epiphany. Um, so this is Epiphany, the, uh, the appearing, the manifestation of Christ as the light of the world, um, usually focused on drawing in the Gentile nations, all of us. So that's today. Then uh, next week, you will have a guest preacher, Vanessa Funk. She's a seminary student from Western Theological Seminary. Um, I will be on study leave. I will be looking at um, just some forward planning uh, for a future sermon series. I'll be looking at um, what's going to happen at our consistory staff retreat in February um, and also spending some time looking at uh, worship visioning. Um, so next week is the 15th, so Vanessa will be here. And then the following four weeks, we will have a sermon series on worship. And we're going to start um, this, this conversation on uh, visioning and worship, uh, specifically the theology of worship in our sermons, and then asking where is God leading us as a worshiping community. Um, then after that, maybe I'm going too far, but uh, then after those four weeks, I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to take uh, a week off. Uh, pastor Tom Grable, the interim pastor that was here, he's going to preach. Um, and then we're going to be into Lent, and the weather's going to be nice, and it's going to be warm, and it's going to be springtime. <laughs> you can feel it already, can't you? <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Ah, but for this morning, we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And before we do that, let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful we are thankful that as we come to the end of this Christmas season, that we can focus on the work of Christ. Lord, not only did this baby come into our world, this baby came with a purpose. This baby came as your son, God the Son, to draw nations to himself, to repair the relationship that was broken by us. Lord, we ask that uh, as we hear your word read and as we hear your word preached today, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would draw us once again to Christ, that we would know your love for us, that we would see ourselves as you see us, Lord. God, we pray that you would do this in the power of your Holy Spirit, for your glory and for our good. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Well, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mercy, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, how many of you remember the early months of the pandemic? You're like, oh no, we're not going there again, are we? I'm not talking about the toilet paper shortage. Do they have a toilet paper shortage here? Okay. Okay, yeah, you remember that. No, I'm talking about the, the three-ply face masks. I'm talking about uh, applying sanitizer to your hands every time you breathed. I'm talking about uh, washing your hands to the point uh, that they were raw. Um, uh, talking about how we couldn't in some situations, in other situations we wouldn't uh, go into the homes of other people or, or into businesses unless it is absolutely necessary. We were trying uh, to avoid contracting this unknown virus. We were trying to keep it out of our system. Well, the Jewish people in the first century were trying uh, to keep the Gentiles at a distance. It's as if the the non-Jews, the Gentiles, had this virus. And the Jewish people were were trying to avoid contracting it. The Jews in the first century were were known to to snub their Jewish neighbors. In many instances, they would not eat in their homes. They would not go into their homes for the purpose of fellowship. They would not drink their wine. Very rarely would you find uh, a non-Jew socializing with, uh, with a Jewish person. These were God's people. God called them out to be his treasured possession, the Israelites. And so what they were doing is they were trying to keep their distance. They were trying to maintain the special relationship that God had called them into. And they were trying to avoid anything and anyone that would take them away, anything that would make them ritually impure, they were keeping their distance from. Well, Paul, Paul was very good at keeping his distance. Paul, not only was he somebody who, who masked up, somebody who sanitized regularly, oh, he was one who was, he was actively seeking out this virus. He was seeking this out to destroy it. You remember Paul, he would, he would uh, persecute uh, the, the Jewish Christians. He felt that these were the greatest threat to this religion of Judaism. So Paul was actively seeking out uh, this group of people. Not only was he trying to keep the Gentiles away, keep them at bay, well, he was actively seeking out Christians and persecuting them. We have the outsiders. uh, The Gentiles were on the outside. The Jewish people, God's people, were trying to keep them out. And we have Paul. 
Paul trying to keep them out, trying to destroy the Christians. But this whole time, what Paul does not recognize, what he cannot see is that he is actually on the outside. Paul, we could say, is infected himself. He already has this. Because anyone who is not in Christ is on the outside. Well, anyone, anyone who is not in Christ is on the outside. And this is the same place that all of us, at one time or another, were at. Outside. Well, in the beginning, those famous words from Genesis, in the beginning God created. And when God created, he created us to be in relationship with him. He created us and he put us into the garden with himself. We could not get any more on the inside, then this relationship that we had with God. We were dwelling in intimate fellowship with him. Oh, but then through our, our pride and our disobedience, well, Adam and Eve, well, they disobeyed God. And what they do is they separate themselves from the creator. And as our representative heads, when Adam and Eve fall, well, we fall too. When Adam and Eve separate themselves from God, we are separated too. Adam and Eve are literally cast outside of the garden. They are cast outside of God's presence. And this is not a place where we want to be. We do not want to be on the outside. We do not want to live disconnected from the intimate fellowship of the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because on the outside, being on the outside is being disconnected. Being on the outside is being unknown. Being on the outside is a lonely place. When you're disconnected from God, you are disconnected from life itself. But on the flip side of that, on the other side of that, if you are connected, if you are on the inside, well, then you have uh, this connection. You're no longer lonely. You know what it is to be loved. You know what it is uh, to be known. You know what it is to have life because in God there is life. The purpose of life is to dwell with God and to know his comfort, to know that you are his child. It is not a good place to be on the outside. This is not where we want to be, but this is where we were all at at one point in our lives. But the gospel message, the good news that we see in this passage, the good news really that we see in the Bible in its entirety from Genesis through Revelation is that God brings the outside in. God brings the outside in, and we see it in the life of Paul. Paul, who was formerly Saul, this man who is, who is persecuting the church. We know that he has his heart changed. His life is radically transformed when he has um, this, this uh, encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, where the Lord blinds Paul. The Lord changes his heart. And then the Lord actually sends Paul, he commissions Paul to go and preach this message to the people that he has been pushing away, to the people that he has actively been pursuing. Paul is now given the commission to go with the message to these people. God brings Paul, who is on the outside, and he brings him on the inside. He says, Paul, I am going to use you. And what is this message? What is the message that is given to Paul? It's, it's verse 6. We see it in verse 6. is that God is bringing the outside in. That in Christ, the Gentiles are becoming heirs. 
In verse 6, what, what Paul does in his language, he uses, he uses this Greek prefix, this, this Greek prefix that is the word soon, that means together, and he attaches it to these words uh, just to give us an idea of this, this radical inclusivity now that the Gentiles have being in Christ. We see that they are heirs together. We see that they are together one body. We see that they are together sharers in the promises of Christ. So first we read that it is uh, that they are together heirs. Again, this, this, this Greek word, soon, he attaches to this word, uh, together heirs. Now for a long time, the Israelites, these, these Jewish people, they have been waiting to receive the inheritance that was promised to Abraham. This long-awaited inheritance was the land of Canaan, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, this land that would be free of enemies, this land where they could worship God without the threat of anybody drawing them away. This was their exclusive inheritance, being God's people. And now this message is that the Gentiles are included in this inheritance. It's like if you have neighbors that you don't really care for, neighbors that are rude and inconsiderate, and you think, oh, the only way that this is going to be dealt with is if, they're going, if they die or if they move. And it'd be like your family, your mom and dad or your grandparents, writing these neighbors into the family will. This is what's going on, that they together are heirs. Now, this is not a, an inheritance uh, that we see in the Old Testament. It's not a geographical region that is east of the Mediterranean Sea. No, this, this inheritance really it's taking the shape of God's coming kingdom. Where this inheritance now is that God is making these people into his children. Where they will dwell with him in the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth. God is taking the Gentiles and he is bringing them in. And in this way he is including them into the inheritance. They will be sharers together in what God is promising. This, this inheritance to both Jews and Gentiles now. Well, the second piece of this uh, is, is a together body. Now it's interesting because they, they, scholars, scholars think that Paul made up this word. This word is not found in any of the Koine Greek in the literature that we have. They think that Paul needed a word that was, uh, that was so strong, a concept that was so foreign and so radical that didn't exist, so he had to make it. He had to make it up. So he took this word, he took this prefix, and he took the word body, and he said, Susoma. He said that the Gentiles are now together, members of one body. This is what God does. God doesn't say, hey, you Jewish people, Jewish Christians, you're going to go ahead and go over here and join these Gentile Christians. On the same page, he doesn't say, hey, Gentile Christians, you're going to go over here and join these Jewish Christians. No, what he says, he says, I am going to take these two bodies, and what I'm going to do is, in Christ, I am going to make them into one new body. Nobody is going to have privilege over the other. You are going to be joined into one body, the Susoma. You're going to be together heirs, and you're going to be one body together. Really radical language that's being used here. The third thing, the third way that Paul uses this, he says that they're going to be uh, together sharers in the promise in Christ. So not only are they going to be uh, receivers of the inheritance, they're not only going to be written into the will, they're going to receive all, they're going to be beneficiaries of all of the promises that God has made to his people. 
Summing it up is that God is going to be their God, and they are going to be made into his people. God takes these people, these Gentile people, who are snubbed, who are outcast, uh, who are just pushed away, and God says, I am bringing the outsiders in, and I'm going to make them a part of my new family, and all of this is going to happen in Christ. So the question is, where are you? Where are you? Are you on the outside? Are you a sharer of the promises of Christ? Well, the good news that I am privileged and responsible for teaching you today and proclaiming to you today is that God is bringing the outside in. God is bringing the outside in. Look at Paul. Paul, this man who is persecuting, who is imprisoning, who is even killing God's people. What does he do? God totally annihilates him, just blows him off the face of the earth. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? God makes him his child. He brings him from the outside, and he takes him into this intimate fellowship where he says, Paul, you are mine. I am claiming you as my own. So what this tells me is that there is nothing, there is nothing in your past, there is nothing in your present that God cannot overcome. That God is calling you from the outside into the inside, into intimate fellowship, into intimate relationship with him. God is drawing this this radical concept of bringing the outside, bringing it back inside. And for us, for us people who have, who have been distanced from God, this is, this is our call. And you have to realize that this is God overcoming, and it's not us overcoming. If you read the language uh, in our passage that, that, uh, that Paul is using, it's all passive language. Stuff that has been done for him by God. God has revealed this to me by his spirit, by God's power, by the grace given to me. This is everything that God has done for Paul. Paul did not come to this place on his own. It has been this uh, this power that has been working through him, this heart transformation that has been initiated and carried through by God. So when we think about this, we think about our own inclusion into God's family, into this new body that God has made. It's not us overcoming. This is a gift. This is grace. So if you are on the outside, or maybe you've, you've strayed from your relationship with the Lord. This is your invitation. See, this is your invitation. God's gracious invitation back into, into his family. Where God is saying, you are mine. And I do this through the work of Christ. This is not of your own. This is my work that I do through Christ. That's the message to those on the outside. But, but what, about, what about you who are, who are already on the inside? What is, what is the message to you? Well, to, to get at this, um, we're going to use uh, the Grinch as an illustration. Has anybody ever heard of the Grinch? It's still Christmas season, so we can still go here. The 2018 movie, does anybody, has anybody seen the new Grinch, like the 2018, the, the cartoon? Yeah? Okay, no, seriously? Okay, maybe, maybe you have, you just don't know it. So the Grinch, the Grinch is, of course, the outcast. He lives, he lives up on his mountain, the top of Mount 
Crumpet, the top of Mount Crumpet. The Grinch lives up here, and he, every time he has to go down into Whoville, um, he is rude, he is inconsiderate, he is this unpleasant man because he does not like Christmas. He does not like the decorations, he does not like the singing, he does not like any of the festivities. This is totally not his thing. So he's this bitter, green, uh, grouchy Grinch. It comes to the point where Grinch finally says, I have to do something. I have to do away with Christmas. And so he makes himself a, a, a Santa costume, and his plan is to go down into Whoville. So from his mountain, he's going to go down into Whoville, and he's going to visit every single one of the Who's houses, and he's going to take all of their, their decorations. He's going to take all of their holiday food. He's going to take anything that gives semblance of Christmas. And this is what he does. He goes from house to house. He takes all of this stuff, uh, and he loads it onto his sleigh. So you have this sleigh with this gigantic mass of Christmas stuff, and it's pulled back up to the top of Mount Crumpet. I don't know how, but he, he, his little petite dog, Max, is pulling this sleigh all the way up to the mountain. And the Grinch, in an effort to destroy the Who's Christmas, he is just about ready to, from the tip top of Mount Crumpet. Uh, he goes to dump it. Um, and before he does that, he wants to hear the boo-hoo-hoos of the who's down in Whoville when they realize that Christmas has been stolen from them. But instead, what he hears is the singing. Here's the singing of all the who's down in Whoville as they gather together. And he realizes that, oh, Christmas is still coming, even though they don't have all of their, their Christmas decorations and Christmas trappings. And something happens is, uh, remember, his heart grows three sizes that day. And instead of dumping Instead of dumping all of their stuff over the edge of Mount Crumpet, he decides that he's going to go back down. So he rides this sleigh back into Whoville, and he, he gives their stuff back, and he apologizes. He says, I am sorry for trying to ruin your Christmas. And then he goes back home. He goes back home to Mount Crumpet. Now, this is where the, the new movie kind of um, gives liberty. And this is, this is the point that we want to make. A Cindy Lou Who, the smallest Who down in Whoville, she comes up to Mount Crumpet to, to the Grinch's cave for the sole purpose of inviting him to dinner. And he says, me? Me? But I, I took all of your gifts. She says, yep. And he says, I, I took your trees. Yeah, I know. I stole your whole Christmas. She says, yeah, I know, but we're inviting you anyways. And he says, why? And she says, you've been alone long enough. You've been on the outside long enough. Well, God's intention is that through the church, through you, through I, through us, through this new body that he's created, that this manifold wisdom of God, that this mystery, this mystery would be revealed that God is bringing the outsiders in. That through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Christ, God is making a way for people to be back in relationship with him. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ makes a way back for, for us to God, but it doesn't end with us. 
Well, just like the, the joy and the meaning of Christmas, it, it passed from somebody to Cindy Lou Who's mom, and then from Cindy Lou Who's mom, it passed to Cindy Lou Who, and then from Cindy Lou Who, it passed to the most unlikely recipient of all, right? The Grinch. So who is God calling into this one new body? The people that don't look like us, the people that are rude, the people that are inconsiderate, these people that we probably think are the last people that God is calling to be a part of this new body may just be the very people that God is calling to be a part of this new body that he's created. Because in Christ, the light of the world, the light of the world, not just the light to us, but the light to the world is shining. And God is using us, his church, because we are, too, the light of the world. He is using us to be his spokespeople. He is using us, our lives, to love people and to draw them into the kingdom to proclaim this message of Jesus Christ and his grace. So when God does call them in, we would be there to welcome them. A Grinchy comes down from his mountain Grinchy comes to the door, and the who that answers says, Oh, Mr. Grinch, I am so glad that you could come. And he opens the door to a dozen or so who's that are gathering, and they all say, Merry Christmas, Mr. Grinch, to his utter shock. They even give him the privileged place of cutting the, the, the who rare roast beast. That's right. Yeah. Who is God calling into this new body? And when God calls them, we be there to receive them, to welcome them to the table. Together, together heirs, together sharers of the promise, and together members of this one body. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We know that your word falls flat without the empowering of the Holy Spirit to make it a part of our lives. Lord, we ask that you would do that with these words. Lord, that in this next week, that we would live as your people, assured of your grace and confident in the call that you give us to go out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.